No, this will be 14 through 18. Let me, can someone, hey Billy, can you bring June an outline? Thanks. Okay, sorry about that. I've been trying to come up here on Saturday and put those out, and I forgot yesterday. Just got busy. And then, you know, the ball game was on too, so that kind of took, took some time. Yeah, but uh, anyways, glad everybody's here this morning. A little bit warmer this week than it was last week, right? But uh, I guess that's okay, we're a little muggy, but it looks like the weather's about to take another turn. Uh, from what it looks like, next few days we may start seeing some 60s, uh, which is, I guess that's nice if you like the cold weather, right? So, good thing. Glad to see some new folks here, Brother, Brother Jeremy. Hey guys, how y'all doing? Good to see ya. And uh, there's a few new, uh, Miss Edna's out for the first time, glad to have her. Good to have all you folks, and more starting to venture out, so that's a good thing. Uh, welcome all you that are watching online. Uh, we've been at this now, what, about three weeks, four weeks now with class, so that's a good thing. We're able to get back together. What a wonderful thing it is for the Lord's people to be able to meet and uh, have fellowship with one another, is it not? Uh, very, very uplifting, very encouraging. And hopefully today we're going to be able to go through a class and uh, learn a few things about the glory of, of, of the Lord and uh, maybe that'll help and encourage us and help us out in our daily lives. Before we do that though, let's uh, go over our prayer list. Uh, <clears throat> we need to mention a few here. Uh, John Beer's uh, uh, sister-in-law passed this past week, so uh, please remember John and June at this time and their family. Uh, also, Carlton Wheeler lost his brother last weekend, so uh, need to be remembering them at this time as well. Uh, Terry Anderson and, uh, lost his sister. Uh, Terry's here today, but uh, please remember Terry and his family at this time. And then uh, we have Teresa Hyman's father was hospitalized on the 23rd with kidney failure. So please continue to remember uh, him and Teresa and her family. Uh, we have many others. Uh, how's, how's your dad doing, Greg? Doing, doing better? He's been moved, right, to a facility. Okay, so that's good. Um, <clears throat> a few others. Uh, also, uh, Kathy Rayburn uh, apparently had another stroke a few days ago, and she's still in the hospital, or? Yesterday she was still in the hospital, so. She didn't lose any, uh, she didn't have any paralysis or anything this time, but uh, second time in a few months, so please remember Ken and Kathy this time. And then, you need to remember LeVon up to graft. He, uh, he's been rejected twice now on a cell transplant and things are not looking good for Levon, so uh, please, please remember that family at this time, Levon and Jane. They, are, they have been going through a lot. It seems like they've been going through stuff for the last few years, but they've always remained faithful and always are willing to be here and, and, and participate, so please remember that family at this time as well. Uh, anybody else we need to be remembering this morning? Okay, let's go to our Father in prayer uh, before we begin. Father in heaven, we, we thank you and we praise you, Father, as our honor, and we honor you as our Father and our God, and we, we just thank you for the, the many blessings you give to us in this life, Father, and, and our families and our personal lives, Father, and also in this congregation, Father. We are such a blessed group of people, and uh, we just thank you for that. We praise you and we, we love you, Father, and we thank you for your love for us, Father. We ask you to be with those who have been mentioned on our prayer list today that uh, are, are mourning the loss of a loved one, that they may be comforted that we might be able to help them to be comforted and, and, and minister to them in a way that's uplifting to them and helpful to them. Those who are sick, Father, we ask that you be with those 
that we have mentioned that are in need of, of uh, healing. Uh, we ask you to provide that at this time, Father, and um, help them to be able to come back to their health, if at all possible, Father. We thank you for your word and for uh, the word that became flesh for us in Jesus Christ, that we might have a hope for eternal life. We might have a hope of, of, uh, of eternity and, and to be able to live with you in, in the kingdom of heaven here on earth as well as in heaven eventually, Father. We thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for your love that you would send, this, send him to us, Father. We ask that you be with our nation at this time as we are going through a new election that uh, your will will be done, Father. Whatever, whatever the outcome is, it will be your will, Father. And we know it will be, and we just want, want to, to know that and understand it and, and, be, and be comforted by it and be content by it, Father, whatever that outcome is. We ask you to be with this world. It's a dark world. We know from your, your gospel of John that the light came into that dark world, Father, and we just ask you to help us to be able to grow spiritually from our study of your word and from our daily lives, our service and your prayer, and help us to be a good example to others in this community, in this world, that they might see that light that's shown uh, through your Son. We ask you to be with those who are traveling at this time, be safe, and uh, help them to be back safely, Father. And of course, we thank you for Jesus. For without him, we would have no hope. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> As I said, if, uh, we will be, we're looking today at the, at the lesson on beholding his glory in the book of John. And the last uh, few weeks, we talked about the light that John talks about. The light that came into the world. Remember, and, and, and the light that came into a dark world, and how he, he contrasted those things, right? The light from the dark. We live in a very dark world. And John said he wrote this book for a certain reason, did he not? You remember what that was? Turn over to John chapter 20 real quick, and let's just read that again. I don't want to lose sight of the reason John wrote his gospel. You know, we said there were the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they were written very similarly, right? They're written... You call the synopsis because they're written about similar events, similar things that happened, but John's very different. And John says, he wrote the book, and in verse 30 we read, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that wonderful? He wrote this book so we can believe. Here we are, 2,000 years later, and we can still believe in Jesus Christ because John wrote this book. Amazing things. He talked about that light that came into the world. He talked about the Word that was in the beginning, right? He came to his own people even. He came into the world and he came to his own people. And what did those people do? Remember? Did they receive him? No. No. Even the Jews, his own people, rejected him. He was rejected by this dark world. Many reasons we talked about last week for his rejection. One was they loved the darkness, simply loved the darkness more than the light. People in this world love the darkness. They don't want their deeds exposed. They don't want to have to go out into the light and see what the world's about. They don't want to see this Jesus Christ, this light that came in the world. Some were afraid of what others thought. Remember that? You ever been afraid to say something because of what you thought somebody might think about you? We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in that boat. I know. 
I have. It is bad right now. Yeah, Jim says it's bad right now. It is. People are afraid to speak. Absolutely. Some were misinformed of the facts. They didn't get the doctrine. They didn't get the truth, right? They listened to those who were not telling the truth. Listen to those who were not preaching the doctrine. Some were hardened by their traditions. We talked about that a little bit last week. Very hard to break a tradition, isn't it? Especially if you've been raised in a family that had a certain way of doing things or went to a certain church or denomination, right? Very hard to break away from that. Maybe some of you have done that. Maybe some of you have gone through that. And you might have been ridiculed by a family member or people from your own family. That's tough. That's tough to do, isn't it? But some were hardened by their traditions. Some simply loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. We all want to be praised by our companions, don't we? By our peers. Some of us have a job. We want to be praised by our boss, don't we? We want to get that good report. Sometimes it means we get a raise, right? Or we get a promotion. We want that. Nothing wrong with desiring praise, but you got to have the right priorities, right? You should never desire the praise of men over the praise of God. And that goes along with the speaking thing, right? Sometimes we're afraid to speak because we're getting that praise of men, and we want that more than the praise of God, do we not? But then some, John says, received that light. Some saw the light, received it. And remember last week we even mentioned some of the rulers saw it and yet did nothing about it. And what did these people do that received him? What did these people do that saw the light? They obeyed. They obeyed the word, right? They became children of God. In the last few verses of the prologue, which is in chapter 1 there, and it goes down to about, about 18 verses, which we'll be toward the end of today. <clears throat> uh, John identifies who the Word was. He, 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 used, he, has, he speaks very metaphorically. He talks about the Word being there in the beginning, right? He was in the beginning with God, and He was God. And then that Word created all things. All things were made through the Word. The Word, remember, had light. I mean, life. The Word had the life. He talked about how he said at the Passover feast, when they were pouring the water on the altar, and he said, I will give you, uh, I will give you a heart of, uh, like rivers of flowing water. Isn't that a wonderful sight? Come to him, and he's going to provide you with rivers of flowing water. That's so refreshing, isn't it? Think about it. He was also the light of men who came into the world and many did not receive him. But then, around verses 10 and 11, we read that those who received him received the right to become children of God. What's that mean exactly, to be a child of God? Are you a child of God? Absolutely you are. What's that mean? Well, think about that in your own families. What, what, is, what does it mean to be your child? Or you, what does it mean to be a child of your parents? You, you inherited certain things from your parents, didn't you? You inherited certain characteristics, their DNA, physically, attitudes perhaps, 
perhaps you inherited their religion, right? We just talked about that, how some have had to break from that. You also inherited the rights that come with being in that family, the right of being a child of God, the privilege of living forever with that legacy, right? Or not forever, in, in this world anyways. And as a child of God, guess what? We inherit the same things that Jesus Christ did as the Son of God. We get to be with God forever. In the end, we stay faithful. As children of God, we get to live with Him. Well, he eventually identifies that word as Jesus Christ, right? Uh, around verse 14, he says, Jesus Christ who became flesh and lived among men. Lived among men so they could see him, behold him, see that light that came into the world, whose glory was seen by men. Glory meaning what? Majesty, his dignity, his splendor, his godness, his greatness, all those things about Jesus Christ. Men were able to see that. Glory to painting to Christ refers to his personal excellence in majesty. Let's read uh, from chapter 1 there. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I, whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Wow. All right. What did others see in Jesus when he walked in the flesh among the men? Well, they beheld his glory right? Especially those who were closest to him, right? They beheld the glory of his being God, his deity, his greatness, his majesty. Verse 14 says, he was the only begotten of the Father. The dignity which was appropriate to that only begotten Son. We, they saw his glory, his splendor. They saw that properly expressed expressed through his character and his rank and the things that he claimed to be. They also saw some things physically. Turn over to Luke chapter 9. Let's read about something there. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke, of his and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. They saw his glory physically, right, when he was transfigured, Right? On the Mount of Transfiguration. Can you imagine what that looked like? 
Can you imagine what they saw and what they thought? I mean, they, they've been following him around a little bit. They've been hearing his teachings. You know, they're, they're thinking a lot about this. They're, they're probably not that sure yet, right, who this guy is. I mean, they, we know when Peter, at, at his crucifixion, he denied him, right? He still wasn't quite sure. You know, it wasn't until that resurrection that things changed a little bit, didn't it? But imagine seeing him and Moses and Elijah with him. I mean, what would you do today if you saw that happen? What if Kyle's up here preaching one day and all of a sudden his face started shining? His clothes started shining. That'd be a pretty awesome thought, wouldn't it? Awesome sight. Imagine what was going through their minds when they saw this. They actually were able to physically behold his glory. Awesome thing. How else did they see his glory? Well, he performed some miracles, didn't he? We know that. He performed many miracles that they might see his glory through what he was able to do. His doctrine, what he taught, they deemed that to be true. Some of the things he was saying were a little different than what they knew, what they thought. And of course, we already mentioned it, his resurrection. At his resurrection, when they saw that happen, when they knew that that had happened, things changed for them, didn't it? Remember, we've talked about that many times. Without the resurrection, there's really nothing, right? He's just a guy that died. He's just a guy that came to earth, preached about some stuff, said he was God, and he died. Has anybody else ever done that in the world? Yeah, a few times. A few people have done that. They all died. As far as I know, none of them were resurrected. Jesus was resurrected. And then, a few days later, he ascended. And they saw him go up into the clouds. So they got to behold his glory physically, and they got to behold the things that he did, the things that he accomplished, the things that he taught. How else did they behold his glory at that time? Well, those four verses that I just read talk a lot about grace and truth. He was full of grace. Grace and truth came through Jesus. What does grace mean? You know, favors, gifts, acts of beneficence. You know, I've heard it said that grace is unmerited favor. You know, we, we get grace from God even though we don't deserve it. He was graceful. He was graceful to those who followed him. He was graceful to those who did not believe. He was kind, merciful, and he did good to all, seeking the welfare of all men. I mean, pretty much all you had to do was ask, right? And he was going to do it. We read that through all the Gospels. So much so that it might be said, be characteristic of him, that he was a graceful, he was grace. He was grace. We also saw the glory of his truth. It says he's full of truth. Truth that came through Jesus Christ. He declared the truth, and in him was no falsehood. All right? Can we say that anybody else that's ever lived has always been completely truthful? I mean, I don't know everybody else's hearts, but probably not, right? Has anybody in here never told a lie? You don't have to raise your hand. George Washington, they said, did. I don't think that's true, but that's what they said. Yeah. He had no falsehood in him. 
He was not like the false prophets and the false messiahs, who were imposters. Nor was he like the men mentioned in the Old Testament, the emblems, the types of people in the Old Testament. Like Moses. Was Moses a type of Christ? An archetype, you might say? An example? A projection of Christ? Sure. He was sent by God to do what? Save his people, right? Bring them out of bondage. Bring them out of Egyptian slavery. He did that. Of course, he was the instrument of God, right? God did it, really. But Moses was a type of Christ. What about Noah? Was Noah a type of Christ? He led his family through the flood, right? In that sense, he was a type of Christ. He was told by God to build the ark, and he did it. What about the prophets? We have many prophets who spoke the words of God. Who were good leaders, great leaders? We have many leaders that helped the Israelites. We have all kinds of examples in the Old Testament. But every one of these were not the complete truth. Right? Jesus Christ was the truth, is the truth. More than any other prophet, more than Moses, more than Noah, anyone else that we can read about. He represents everything as it is. Right? And thus became the truth, as well as the way and the life. Now, we're not perfect people, right? We're, we're human. It's hard for us to see the truth sometimes, isn't it? Well, all the time, really. It's hard. And believe me, you got people out there all over telling you all kinds of different stuff. All you got to do is turn the TV on. One channel says one thing, the other says another. It's hard to know. Scripture says Jesus is the truth. Wow, that, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? I have that in my back pocket. Should be, should be more than that, but I'm having trouble. I'm struggling. I don't know what to think. Where do I go? Jesus Christ. He is the truth. You got that. We should take comfort, and we should take our confidence in that. John the Baptist talked about his preeminence. They saw the glory of his preeminence. He said, he who comes after me is preferred before me. Now, did John have followers? Yeah. He was preaching that baptism of repentance, right, in the wilderness. But he said, there's one coming after me that's, that's preferred before me. I'm nothing. I'm just a man. So he was preeminent. Witnessed by John the Baptist. Witnessed by his virtue of his preexistence and by the virtue of his creative powers. Colossians 1 talks about that. He created the world. He was preeminent because of that. And then we also saw the glory of his revelation. Just read there in that verse 18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, he has declared him. In other words, he's saying, nobody can physically see God except through Jesus in the flesh, who has declared God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It doesn't mean that 
we are denying the fact that God manifested himself to men in the Old Testament. He did appear to men like Moses and some others. And sometimes it was a voice, sometimes they appeared as a man, perhaps they saw him as an angel. But no one has truly seen the Father physically. The prophets didn't see him physically. They simply spoke what they were told to speak, right? God was, I mean, Jesus was equal, on an equal level with God. He was able to declare him because he knew God, he knew who sent him, and he was God. Jesus told that to Philip, verse 9 of chapter 14. Let's, let's turn over there just for a second, John chapter 14. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Even Philip didn't understand, right? And Jesus says, who's seen me has seen the Father. In John chapter 17, Jesus, we read about Jesus' prayer. I'm not going to read the whole prayer there. But he talks about the fact that the apostles were chosen because they had seen him. He had been from, sent from the Father. And then in Colossians, Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, creatures. This verse uh, says that Jesus had a knowledge of God alone, that which any, not which any of the ancient prophets had or, or any of the fullest revelations of the character uh, were expected in the gospel. He, he came to bear witness of the truth, as we mentioned last week. We read that in John, John uh, chapter 7. So by his word, we can, he can enlighten and guide us. He can lead us to true knowledge of God. And there's no true and full knowledge of God which is not obtained through him. We can't truly know God without seeing Jesus, without knowing Jesus. A lot of people think they can, right? A lot of people think they can know God or who God is. But you can't. Jesus came bear witness of the truth. He showed us what it was to be God. As I mentioned before, what a, what a wonderful experience it must have been to behold that glory. To be there with him, to see the things that he did, right? It, it undoubtedly transformed their lives, the apostles, right? The disciples. Changed their lives. Made them uh, have confidence that they could preach. Preach to a dark world. This is Jesus, right? Knowing full well that they could suffer greatly for it. And they did, right? But they had seen his glory. Well, guess what? We can also behold his glory 2,000 years later. How? Well, we can see what was written about him, right? We can read what the witnesses said. <clears throat> we can read how they suffered and some died because of him. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verse 16. Peter's letter. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory 
when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, we're not telling you stuff that's just a bunch of junk, a bunch of fables, a bunch of tall tales. We were there. We saw it. I give to you today, to be transformed, you've got to behold His glory. We need to be transformed as well. We're part of a dark world. We're born into a dark world. We live in a dark world of sin and without hope, really. Without hope. Part of being a child of God is what? First obedience and then growth, right? Growing in His Word, growing in His service, growing in prayer, all these things. We need to be transformed. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 real quick. <clears throat> Let's read a verse there. I want to read. Romans 8, verse 29. Actually, 20, start at 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Ever heard that verse before? But read 29. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are to be transformed. Conformed to His image. He's the firstborn. We are children of God. Got to be done. How do we do that? Look over there in chapter 12 real quick of Romans. Chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're not a part of this world, folks. We are part of the kingdom of heaven. How many times have I said that in the last few months? You are children of God. There's a lot of stuff going on in this nation right now, right? The one thing that you need to remember is you're not part of this world. Doesn't matter what you think about what's going on, doesn't matter what side you want to be on or whatever you're not of this world when you obeyed the word of god you became a child of the kingdom of heaven a child of god you're part of the kingdom now that should be where your thoughts are that should be where your mind is transforming to that image of christ who's reigning in that kingdom as i speak no matter what you think about an election coming up no matter what you think about all the strife that's going on this pandemic, we are part of the kingdom of heaven. We are not part of this world. And you need to be thinking that way. What am I doing in the kingdom? What does God want in my life? Not what my children want, not what the president wants, not what anybody else wants, it's what God wants in my life. When else will we behold his glory? Well, turn over to Colossians 3 there. Yeah. 
verse 3. Colossians 3. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put that away. Verse, I'm sorry, I went too far, but, but that's, I wanted to read that. <laughs> Let's go back to verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. I was going to read 5 after that, but anyways, you get the point. We're going to appear with it. We're going to see His glory when He comes again, right? But we've got to be putting these things off in the meantime. That's how we were transformed, right? That's how we become children of God. When He comes again to be glorified with the saints. The Thessalonians, second Thessalonian letter tells us that. Indeed, everyone will behold His glory. When He comes again, it's not just going to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven that are going to behold His glory. Every knee will bow. That's what it says. It's in Scripture. Everybody's going to see Him. Everybody's going to see His glory. They're going to know He is the God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, we, and they beheld His glory, and we can too. We can see the testimony of the followers of Christ, the apostles. We can see what He did in His life here. And we're going to behold His glory when He comes again. What are you going to do with that glory? That's declared by his apostles. Are you going to let it transform your life? 2 Corinthians 3 talks about we are constantly being transformed from glory to glory. It's not something that happens overnight, right? And you should have, a lot of you have been doing that a long time. A lot of you have been children of God for many, many years. And hopefully you've been transforming over that time. If not... That's something you need to be in prayer about. That's something you need to be thinking about and study. <clears throat> we should let the Word of God help us to transform. And then, when Christ comes again, we're going to be glorified together with Him. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus Christ, who was the Word, who created the world, who brought light into the dark world, who is the life, we're going to be glorified with Him. Turn over to Revelation. I want to read something there. And this is not in your outline. I, I just want to read this. 21, Revelation 21, <clears throat> starting in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he sat on the throne and said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. 
And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. There's that phrase again about flowing rivers of water. The tree of life. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Remember, we're children of God. We get to inherit all things. And I will be his God, <clears throat> and he shall be my son. Those verses right there should give you great encouragement, right? I know we don't think about heaven all the time. We're, we're busy. We've got a lot of stuff going on. But man, that sounds wonderful. I can't imagine. And you know what? I'm sure it's going to be a lot greater than anything you could read about here. That sounds great. But I don't think that even covers it a tenth or even a percentage of what it's really going to be like. We should be looking forward to that. The apostles saw the resurrection and they became bold. They became confident. They could go into the temple and preach. They could go into that dark world and tell them about the light that came into the world. And now it's reigning in his kingdom. And people can become part of that kingdom. People can become children of God. Look over at Proverbs real quick. Chapter 3. I'm going to read something from there. Beginning of verse 1. Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. I want to read that because... And by the way, Proverbs 3 is a long chapter. But it is wonderful. I'm not going to read it all to you this morning. I'd encourage you when you get home, or maybe after class, read the whole thing. It's wonderful. God's saying, you know, we're told, put your trust in Him. Put your burdens on Him. You don't have to worry about it. He's going to direct your paths. We are simply to be transformed into His image. By doing that, what's going to happen? You're going to become like Christ, like God. And you're going to do certain things in your life that are in harmony with that. You're not going to be able to help it. And you know what? You're going to look forward to that kingdom of heaven, that eternity with God. Especially when times are tough, right? like they seem to be right now, right? Times are tough. Even if you're not doing too bad, there's things going on around you that you, know, you get disheartened about, right? It really bothers you, you know? I know it does in my house. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I want to read something about someone who trusted in the Lord and gained great confidence. Turn over to the book of Daniel. Chapter 6. And let's read a few verses there. 
Chapter 6, verse 1, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. He was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Oh, they're conniving. Does that happen today? Conniving? Yeah. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever! All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Whoa. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it might, cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Oh, King Darius liked Daniel, but he kind of got tricked, right? But then he's kind of responsible, so he can't really say he got tricked. He signed the decree. Okay? Here's Daniel. He has a good spirit in him. He's remained faithful. They find no fault in him. Kind of like Jesus Christ, right? There's another one of those types from the Old Testament, right? What did Daniel do about it? Here's Daniel. He knows that. He knows about the decree. He knows that he can be thrown in the den of lions. Would you want to be thrown in the den of lions? Nope. Fresh meat in front of a lion is not a good thing. What did Daniel do? Look at verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. I don't know what to say. I mean, that's it right there, folks. He had the confidence. He knew God was his God. He knew his God loved him. He knew his God made promises. He knew he would be with him if he stayed faithful. And he was willing to continue to stay faithful, knowing that he could die because of the love of his God. Can we do that today? Tough thing, isn't it? Tough thing to do. All right, hope you got a good feeling after this. We can behold his glory. Our time is up. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.